0: Hey friends, David Lightbringer here. I'm off camera today because it's a short script and there's just so much good fiery Melisandre art to use. Now in part one of the series, Shadow of R'hllor, we began an exploration of Melisandra's magic, which served as a vehicle to try to parse out the secrets of the two magical orders she's associated with, the Shadowbinders and the Relorists. What we quickly found out is that it is exceedingly difficult to draw any sort of delineation between Shadowbinding and the fire magic of Relore lore, the God of Flame and Shadow. This is particularly true when it concerns Melisandre's birthing of the shadow assassin entities, which she fashions from the life fires of King Stannis, a ritual which seems to clearly involve both fire and shadow magic. But it's also true of things like Melisandre's glamours, which she describes as weaving with light but also as drawing forth a man's shadow from a personal object in order to drape it over another as a glamour. There's plenty more where that came from in part 3 especially, which will focus on Rolorist Resurrection, The Last Kiss, but today it's new theory time. I left off the last video suggesting, very suggestively, that the secret magic at the heart of Rolorism is Fire Others, and I'm about to tell you exactly what that means. And by the way, this video does work fine on its own, so feel free to dive right in even if you didn't watch part 1. I'm going to tell you right now that Fire Others is a pretty awesome theory, so please do me the favor of clicking like and subscribe and make sure the bell is set to all if you want YouTube to let you know when I'm premiering a new video or doing a live stream. I'd love it if you all would let me know what you think of my new Fire Others theory in the comments, so thanks in advance. You guys are a beautiful audience. That's right, Fire Others. Very exciting. Fire others. It's pretty much just what it sounds like. Beings made entirely of fire and sorcery. I do believe that this is the most ancient secret of the Red Temple of Valor. I'm talking about the literal opposite of white walkers here, who are indeed composed entirely of ice and sorcery, as we see when Samwell Tarly, Sam the Slayer, slays one in a storm of swords. And by the way, we just recently did a read-along of this entire Sam chapter, so be sure to check out the A Song of Ice and Fire Hall of Fame read-along playlist on my YouTube page. Anyway, here's the quote with Sam bravely defeating Sir Puddles. Sam rolled onto his side, eyes wide as the other shrank and puddled, dissolving away. In twenty heartbeats, its flesh was gone, swirling away in a fine white mist. Beneath were bones like milk glass, pale and shiny, and they were melting too. Finally, only the dragonglass dagger remained, wreathed in steam as if it were alive and sweating. Interestingly, the others aren't just solid popsicles, but instead do have some amount of internal anatomy. Ice bones under the ice flesh, basically. Nevertheless, every part of the other melts or vaporizes once the dragon glass undoes the spell holding its icy body together, leaving only the cold obsidian knife and a small puddle. Hence, this White Walker's given fandom name, Sir Puddles. And overall, that's a pretty epic duel Sam the Slayer versus Sir Puddles. Puddles. Round 1 fight. Anyway, from this encounter, we can conclude that the Others are physically composed of ice and snow, and are animated by some sort of arcane sorcery. Also worth noting here, the fact that the Other does have some kind of icy skeleton beneath its flesh implies that the Others may be transformed humans or humanoids in some sense. And the same goes for their icy speech, their icy swords and icy armor, their riding of horses albeit dead horses, and their observation of a kind of ritual. Dualistic duel with Sir Waymar in the Game of Thrones prologue where one other alone advanced to fight, while the other others held back and watched until the end. These are all actions that imply the others retain a certain level of humanity, despite having obviously undergone some sort of unholy transformation. The so-called Corpse Queen, from the legend of Night's King, offers further compelling evidence of unholy human-to-Popsicle transformation. With her skin as white as the moon, and eyes like blue stars. And of course, she also has icy cold flesh as well. Despite the name Corpse Queen, I strongly suspect that she was not a white, an undead ice zombie. But something closer to a female other, or perhaps some sort of Ice Priestess equivalent of Melisandre, due to the fact that she seems to have had children with Night's King, and that's not really something a corpse can do. The name Corpse Queen, as some intelligent fan way back in the day has pointed out, might instead refer to her as the Queen of Corpses, as in the Queen of the Others' Corpse Army. And I'm forever grateful to Legendary Song of Ice and Fire artist Ertak Altanaz for depicting her in just this way, in this wonderful art that you are looking at here. And by the way, if you want more on the Night's Queen Melisandre Parallel, check out Origin of the Others, Night's Queen, as well as the first episode in the Moons of Ice and Fire podcast series playlist. So, if there are magical ice beings who may be transformed humans or humanoids in some sense, what about fire beings who used to be humans? The simple fact that the ice version exists kind of implies that a fire equivalent might. That's my first reason for thinking it's possible. The second reason is that Melisandre, well, she kind of looks like a fire other. How do you know she's a witch? She looks like one. Yeah, she looks like one. Melisandre's clothing is definitely meant to look like fire, with lines like Her red gowns moving like flames as she walked, a swirl of silk and satin being very common Even more than that, it's Melisandre's unsettling, glowing red eyes that scream out, Fire Other Obviously, the Others and their ice whites are known and identified by their cold-burning blue star eyes Which are given many lovely and poetic descriptions, which are essentially all variations of the same thing cold-burning blue stars. Melisandre's red eyes seem to burn the same way. In the last video, we read the quote about her eyes being hot coals when she birthed the shadow baby, and then we also have lines from Davos's chapters like, eyes as red as the great ruby that glistened at her throat as if it too were a fire, or her red eyes gleaming as bright as the torch that bathed her. The Shadow Baby quote with the eyes like hot coals is pretty good because the cave is dark and she's using magic. However, those last two lines that I just read come when Mel is standing next to some sort of fire. So they're not as conclusive. They, they might just be poetic. But then in A Dance with Dragons, George has John observe that her eyes were two red stars shining in the dark. No <laughs> wonder John finds her red eyes, quote, unsettling. He's understandably mistrustful of glowing star eyes, right? And by the way, Lady Stoneheart, who is a fire-white and thus running on relore power, gets a comparable description in A Feast for Crows where it says, Her eyes were two red pits burning in the shadows. Now, perhaps all of these eye descriptions are simply poetic and meant to be evocative of burning relorist intensity. Or perhaps glowing red star eyes are simply an indication that Melisandre, or like I said, Stoneheart, is using fire magic or running on fire magic in some general sense, as opposed to any sort of clue about there being fire others in the world. And at most, these eye descriptions are only clues, not hard proof. But here's the thing. Melisandre is, in fact, literally transforming herself into a being who is sustained by fire magic instead of food and sleep. I mean, she is. I don't really know how else to say it. She's definitely not resurrected though, as some people think, but rather undergoing a gradual transformation. Three quotes from Melisandra's A Dance with Dragons POV chapter make this clear. First off, when Davos's son Devin asks Melisandra, "Does my lady wish to break her fast?" her inner monologue goes like this. Food. Yes, I should eat. Some days she forgot. Relore provided her with all the nourishment her body needed, but that was something best concealed from mortal men. Yes, yes, some days she forgets to eat and only remembers to do it so those pathetic, short-lived mortal men don't catch on to the fact that she is sustained not by food, but by relore, meaning fire magic itself. Melisandre is distinguishing herself here from mortal humans, which implies she's aspiring to something other than mortal, shall we say, which suggests a gradual transformation process which will end in a physical form Capable of immortality. Can anyone say fire? Other, although the icy others can't be killed with magical weapons and perhaps dragon fire, they are implied as being extremely ancient, if not immortal. Again, immortal, not unkillable, meaning they won't die unless destroyed with magic. So perhaps Melisandre is thinking to grasp immortality by transforming into the fire version of an other. Right. I mean, if she eats fire instead of food, that's kind of the suggestion, which implies the others eat popsicles and ice cream sandwiches and Otter Pops and things like that, which is pretty cool. Now, but seriously though, this next quote is even more clearly spelling out a gradual transformation. Melisandra had spent the night in her chair by the fire as she often did. With Stannis gone, her bed saw little use. She had no time for sleep with the weight of the world upon her shoulders and she feared to dream. Sleep is a little death, dreams the whisperings of the other who would drag us all into his eternal night. She would sooner sit bathed in the ruddy glow of her Red Lord's blessed flames, her cheeks flushed by the wash of heat as if by a lover's kisses. Some nights she drowsed, but never for more than an hour. One day, Melisandre prayed, she would not sleep at all. One day, she would be free of dreams. Some nights she drowsed, but never more than an hour. ha. <laughs> Melisandre's a YouTuber like me. <laughs> or maybe I'm turning into a fire other. Anyway, in all seriousness, this is an indication that Melisandre has already transcended the bounds of what we'd call normal humanity, just as her lack of eating does. It also confirms, again, that there's a gradual process at work here. One day, she prays, she won't have to sleep at all, but she's not quite there yet. And what is working this magical transformation? Magical fire, have no doubt. The red priestess shuddered. Blood trickled down her thigh, black and smoking. The fire was inside her, an agony, an ecstasy, filling her, searing her, transforming her. Shimmers of heat traced patterns on her skin, insistent as a lover's hand. She was weeping and her tears were flame, and still she drank it in. The key word here to me is transforming. Melisandra is experiencing a flame vision in this scene, and it seems that each use of Valor's magic works further transformation on Melisandra's physical body. Her blood is black and smoking, which reminds us of dragon's blood or the blood of a firewind like Beric. And even her tears are... <laughs> Either they are fire or they feel like fire. Relor's holy fire is inside her, searing her, meaning searing and burning away her humanity, and transforming her, meaning that she's becoming something other than human. And again, through the use of fire-based sorcery. The logical thing to do here is to extrapolate how this process will carry forward and it would seem to lead to only one thing, which is some sort of being made of fire. We actually have no idea how far this process has already gone with Melisandre, since the enormous ruby at her throat makes it all but certain that her visible appearance is the result of a glamour. She clearly has enough of a physical body in order to have sex with Stannis, though perhaps that feel can be mimicked with magic. And insert your own tasteless jokes here, by the way, I've deleted everything I came up with due to better judgment. I had some sort of fleshlight joke I was trying for, but I didn't make the final cut. Bottom line, I'd guess that once you give your womb over to making shadow babies, regular babies are probably out of the question. And clearly, the process of taking a man's seed and then Only 24 hours later, giving birth to a full-grown shadow human is a highly unnatural process and indicates Melisandre's physiology has already wandered a pretty good distance away from what we'd call normal humanity. This could have something to do with why she was able to transmute Maester Cresson's poisoned wine on Dragonstone, by the way. And I know it's implied the ruby may have something to do with this, but consider... Melissandra's simply not very human anymore. She can eat and drink, but doesn't have to. I mean, for all we know, the food, wine, and poison all just kind of burn up in her stomach. Which leads to the question, has anyone seen Melisandre poop? Howdy ho, Melisandre! So, Melisandre's exterior looks human, save for those unsettling red star eyes, but is probably illusion, and her insides are powered by relore. John and Davos repeatedly sense this when they are near Melisandra. She palpably gives off heat, even melting snow, if she walks slowly or stands still. And she actually makes a point of walking slowly next to John, specifically so that he is sure to see her melting the snow. This is yet more evidence that her physiology is essentially shifting from human to human flame. And the only real comparison to this is the way that the others make it colder in their immediate vicinity. Fire others. Yes, that's right. Fire others. It's sounding more plausible by the minute, isn't it? Now, think about the idea of human flames, and tell me that isn't the concept behind the entire presentation of the Relorist priesthood and the Red Temple as a whole. We talked about Melisandre's swirling scarlet and satin robes, of course. And then we have the soldiers of Velor who are called the Fiery Hand. Tyrion thinks of them as fire knights because they wear orange cloaks and hold spears with points like writhing flames, which is pretty cool. They definitely sound like they are dressing up as fiery others complete with fire weapons instead of ice weapons. But the real clue is to be found with the high priest of Valor, Benero. Benero's high voice carried well. Tall and thin, he had a drawn face and skin white as milk. Flames had been tattooed across his cheeks and chin and shaven head to make a bright red mask that crackled about his eyes and coiled down and around his lipless mouth. Now it's true that technically this is a slave tattoo, as per Voluntine culture, but most slave tattoos don't cover the entire face and head. The Red Temple of Velor seemingly chooses to tattoo their priests to look like they are literally... The Red Temple of Velor seemingly chooses to... The Red Temple of Velor apparently, chooses to tattoo their slave priests to look like they are literally on fire, or made of fire. I mean, for whatever reason. And special thanks to Atlantis Morissette, by the way, for creating this fine Banero artwork on request for this video series. And this after knocking it out of the park with her gemstone emperors for the Nightbringer series. Three cheers. Another powerful servant of Alora that we meet in A Dance with Dragons is, of course, the fearsome Makoro, who also has a huge flame tattoo mask that covers his whole head. Makoro is an interesting one because he survives at sea for 10 days with nothing to eat or drink, which indicates some sort of inhuman transformation, perhaps along the lines of Melisandre. I mean, perhaps Makoro could have been like, I don't know, roasting flying fish with relore power and eating them, but 10 days at sea with no fresh water is certain death for any mortal man, but not for Makoro, apparently. And despite what Melisandre says about being the best in her order at reading the uncertain futures in the flames, Mokoro is giving her a run for the money with the accuracy of the flame visions that he gives throughout A Dance with Dragons. Perhaps more impressively, and perhaps more relevant for our topic, is the fact that Mokoro heals Victarion's infected hand by transforming it into some sort of burnt, smoking fire hand coal hands instead of cold hands if you will or perhaps we should compare victarian's fiery hand to the soldiers of Valour, who are again called the fiery hand it's more of a symbolic parallel but there it is now seriously though check out this quote which comes a good bit after victarian's hand has been transformed and note that it is still smoking The arm the priest had healed was hideous to look upon, pork crackling from elbow to fingertips. Sometimes, when Victorian closed his hand, the skin would split and smoke, yet the arm was stronger than it had ever been. Any way you slice it, Makora was certainly one powerful wizard. But the specific point I want to harp on, like reading Rhaegar, is that he's able to alter Victarion's physiology, transforming a human hand into one that is, for lack of a better term, powered by Relore. and doing so without resurrection being involved, because we get to ride in Victarian's POV, and he doesn't seem undead. The fact that Makoro can use fire magic to create such a physical transformation is a big clue that the Red Temple has explored the idea of transforming human physiology with fire magic, and therefore might know about people powered entirely by relore. Now, I'm mostly imagining a quote unquote fire other as an incorporeal living flame, but perhaps it's more like Victorian's hand, only all over. Kind of like a walking charcoal man or a walking burning cinder. And shout out to Cinder from the Dark Souls game Whose art I always use for Azor High Uncanny likeness, as you can see And he's fond of eclipses Oh, and uh, one other note on Makoro's fire hand You'll notice in the last quote it was mentioned That the arm was stronger than it had ever been This reminds me of a related point about Melisandre That I just kind of didn't have room for earlier Which is the fact that Melisandre is very strong She carries Stannis' standard around When they go to their various little parlays And carrying around a giant flag on a pole is is actually like it's pretty hard work. So I don't think Melisandre is like a decrepit old woman under the illusion, but rather something much stronger. Again, like a charcoal person or a, a living flame or a person that's turning into a living flame. Again, any something like that, but not dead, not decrepit, old. Yes, but. Strong And again, we can see that Victarion has been made stronger by his relore transformation. In any case, check out Makoro's lifelike flame tattoo mask, which comes from Victarion's POV in A Dance with Dragons. The wizard was a monster of a man, as tall as Victarion himself, and twice as wide, with a belly like a boulder and a tangle of bone-white hair that grew about his face like a lion's mane. His skin was black. Not the nut-brown of the summer islanders on their swan ships, nor the red-brown of the Dothraki horse lords, nor the charcoal and earth color of the dusky woman's skin, but black. Blacker than coal, blacker than jet, blacker than a raven's wing, burned Victorian thought, like a man who has been roasted in the flames until his flesh chars and crisps and falls smoking from his bones. The fires that had charred him still danced across his cheeks and forehead, where his eyes peered out from amongst a mask of frozen flames. Slave tattoos, the captain knew, marks of evil. Note that this probably isn't just a matter of Victorian being racist and uncomfortable with a very dark skin tone, as he distinguishes Makoro from Summer Islanders and other dark-skinned peoples, and notably with a description that makes Makoro sound like a fire-transformed entity. Like a man roasted in the flames until his flesh burns away. This sounds like exactly the process Melisandre is undergoing. And if using heavy amounts of fire magic is doing that to her, then it stands to reason that it's doing so to Makoro as well. For what it's worth, Makoro's fire mask even went and had itself a proper dance to the Song of Fire. So check out this quote, also from A Dance with Dragons. Each night, the sorcerer-priest would kindle a fire on the forecastle of the Iron Victory and stalk around the flames, chanting prayers. The firelight made his black skin shine like polished onyx, and sometimes Victorian could swear that the flames tattooed on his face were dancing too, twisting and bending, melting into one another, their colors changing with every turn of the priest's head. Now, it could be that this is, again, a poetic description to make Makoro and his tattoo seem more fearsome. Or it could be that Makoro is wearing a glamour like Melisandre, and his face tattoos actually are shimmering and moving here. Either way, my point is simply that both the author and the Red Temple alike seem to really, really want us to think about people made of fire when we see these red priests. And look, skeptics, I know what you're saying. The R'hllorists obviously think fire is really cool, so maybe they're just covering themselves in robes and tattoos that make them look like they're on fire because, well, they just think it's really cool, like Beavis. The thing is, though, as I've shown you, Melisandre is actually transforming herself into an inhuman fire entity of some kind. And Makoro, too, seems to have surpassed the limits of mortality. And man, Thoros really can drink a lot. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We have already seen that... Humans made of ice exist in this universe, and beings made of fire sure would be handy to have in the fight against the ice demons, right? Why else would Martin be showing us a person who is basically right on the verge of being fully powered by R'hllor, placed strategically at the wall with a keen eye out for the others, if not to have them complete the transformation in time for the new War for the Dawn? I mean, what's the point otherwise, right? And if that's the case, then we kind of have to assume that the original purpose of the fire-other transformation magic must have had something to do with the first war against the others. This, of course, fits oh so nicely with the fact that the Roloris hold the legend of Azor Ahai as sacred and see his prophesied return as the salvation of the world. Azor Ahai, the warrior of fire, was he a fire-other, or... Perhaps did he have Fire Others fighting on his side? In other words, it's looking like the Rolorists' habit of cosplaying a human flame may well be a case of a tradition which is carried on long after the original purpose was forgotten. Or perhaps the more powerful higher-ups of the Red Temple know all about Fire Others, but keep it a secret. It's hard to say. It's either a closely guarded secret or forgotten secret, assuming it is a thing. We do, after all, have one other very clear example of the Red Temple forgetting the true purpose of a magical ritual and carrying on a lesser form of it long after. And that would be the last kiss of R'hllor, with which Thoros repeatedly resurrects Beric Dondarrion. It's supposed to be a fairly standard R'hllorist funeral ritual, but it's suddenly resurrecting people, so something is up there. Obviously, we haven't seen Melisandre perform a last kiss resurrection. Only Shadow Baby kisses. Hey, Jon Snow. But everyone pretty much assumes that Melisandra can do this, and I think that's a safe assumption, given all the foreshadowing of Mel being involved in Jon Snow's much-needed resurrection. And if a Loras' Last Kiss resurrection is going to be performed on the new Azor High, one of them anyway we have to again wonder if we're dealing with an ancient R'hlorist magic that has its roots in the events surrounding the first Azor High. Just as I'm proposing is the case with Fire Others. So, please join me for Part 3, Fire Whites, and I'll tell you all about Azor High's army of fiery corpses and fiery others.